This, this, this is, 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 Fight Disciples. We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. We are the Fight Disciples. We're on location at, um, at the home of a boxer who been around for two decades now he won't he won't like me for saying that um but the reason i wanted to catch up with this guy is because unlike so many great boxers from the last 20 years this guy had an exit plan and i believe that's so important it's great advice for young kids but i also want to tell about talk about his journey in in the sport as well because he went to the very top of british boxing both at amateur level at junior amateur level and then obviously as a professional as well but his story is very different compared to what you may have heard before delighted to say uh, i'm at home with a cup of tea with the main man the warrior tony dodson cheers nick how's it going my mate you look really well yeah i'm fine mate. i mean i'm in a good good place at the minute i am yeah like like we, we'll touch on that why are you in seemingly better shape now than when you were actually boxing because you, you know you know for all fighters when you talk to them before weigh-ins, before fights, they'll just fill you full of crap. They'll tell you how great they are, how they've done the weight so easy. It's not, it's a nightmare. The hardest part of boxing for me was always uh, making weight. And let's put things into perspective. The first time I hit 12 stone, I was 14 years of age. And I kept it there till I was 37. That wow. is that is just alone. Just the, do, the, do the numbers. That is <laughs> unreal. Yeah. And I grew and matured and it kept me weight there it was just it was the hardest part of boxing for me so now obviously now I'm a firefighter um, part of our routine is to stay in shape because you know you never know when you're going to get the big one the mm -hmm. big call that you're going to be required to, to to you know drag people out of houses burning or drag people out of like any sort of building burning or whatever whatever it may be you've got to be ready so you know, we're training every day, we're allowed, we're allocated an hour every day to get in the gym. And I, I you know, I was spoke to Joe Calzaghe about this back when I was fighting. And um, Joe used to say to me, you know, all these people that come in the gym and spend hours in the gym, grinding themselves into the floor, it's a waste of time. What you can't do in an hour is not worth doing. That yeah. was Joe's words. And come on, he was the fittest man on the planet. Absolutely. Name me another fighter that threw as many punches as him yeah, exactly. at our weight. Of do you course. know what I mean? He'd probably be up there with Manny Pacquiao. Yeah. He, he was that good, you know what I mean? So, no, Joe. so yeah, I um, I keep myself in good shape. I, I think not only not only just to, to to try and look good, but it 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 does a lot mentally f for everybody. This is why I say to people, you need to go to the gym. You need to release them endorphins, yeah, and make yourself to get the feel good factor after you've been to the gym. Your body just releases endorphins that gives you the feel good factor. And anyone that's struggling, anyone that's having mental health problems, I'd advise them to go to the gym. Yeah, that's the solution. It so is. So basically, because you're not making weight specifically for two or three events a year, it's easier for you to just consistently stay in shape. Well, yeah, uh, no, I correct. Obviously, with the knowledge you've got through dieting, I wish I wish I knew back in the day when I was 18. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what I used to do. Back when I was 18, I wish I knew then what I know now because I would have been a different fighter altogether because obviously your body, what you give it is how... It affects how you perform, how you feel. You can bring out another level to your game as like if you get your nutrition right. Yeah. But back in 1998, when I turned pro, the sports science was really unheard of. It was the Russians were, even though that was deemed as a third world country, which it is because I've been there and boxed over there. It really is. They were so far advanced. 
in terms of sports signs and stuff, they've been looking into that for 20 years. Yeah, we haven't. It's only seemed to be the last 10, 10 years I've heard people really touching on it and um, getting into it. So, yeah, I eat clean. I try not to eat crap. Um, so did you, what did you do when you were a boxer then? Did you used to okay, all, all the problems, is, junk food, like takeaways, all that stuff? I won my last amateur title at Light Heavy, um, 12-10. And then I moved down to Super Middle, obviously, as a pro, which is 12 stone. Um, 168. I don't get it why everyone's doing this pounds and stuff now. Changed, we were it? all in school taught in pounds and stones. Now it's just pounds, you know what I mean? That's it, it just messes me head. Um, so anyway, I weighed in. Um, my pro debut was in Liverpool. Uh, no, where's it? it? was Carlisle. Yeah, it was Carlisle. But weighed in, Carlisle. Um, obviously, moving down to, to super middle from like Derby was tough. But I used to basically because of the weeks and weeks before killing myself to make weight because I weren't doing it correctly I'd go to Mackey's because I craved the Mackey's it was just a thing that I craved and it's just utter crap food Dude. so I'd eat two Big Mac meals walk away throw my fingers down my throat and be sick because just I wanted to just kill that crave wow. do you know what I mean so straight away I was just fighting a losing battle yeah. you know your body you shouldn't be putting that junk in your body. You should be having like slow burning carbs, rehydrating properly, put your electrolytes back in your body, drinking, just rehydrating your body properly with, with food that is going to absorb into your body, stay there and be able to use it during a fight. And I wasn't aware of all this. I was just young and just because of the, 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 the uphill struggle of making weight, I just craved it. But instead of waiting another 24 hours like a normal person would after the fight, then eat it, but I never... Weird. That's such a. I used to throw my fingers down my throat and vomit it. Though it wasn't even like I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. It was just like a gannet, just yeah. just to, just to <laughs> just to be a slob for yeah. a little bit. It was horrible. <laughs> I always remember as well in Ireland. I was I was making way for the um, English title against Jamie and after after the comeback, um, my first big shot just before the box frotch. And every day I'd go. Past, it was the middle of summer because I boxed them in June. I think it was. And every day I'd come down um, Cable Road go in the gym and I'd go past a billboard with a big pint of Magnus and ice water with ice in it and I craved it and craved it and craved it and like that's weird because as if when you were fighting you, you I never, never drank. drank I never drank no I never bought it just because, nice, because it was summer I was hot I was I literally two weeks I basically ate a banana and drank sips of water so I was I think I was just dehydrated really badly so that Magnus I don't even like Magnus <laughs> but that was like amazing I wanted it so badly um so yet again, I got to Liverpool, come home the, the morning of the fight for that. I was six pound overweight. I had to lose six pound the day of the weigh-in. Um, again, this goes back to the reasons why taking sleeping tablets, and I'll touch on that in a minute. Um, so yeah, it was just it was a night, always a nightmare for me. But I don't know. I come home, went for a run with all my gear on, and Jerry Jerry story said, get in bed. I went, what do you mean? You get in bed with all your gear on, all your sweatsuit and everything. Get in bed. And he rolled me up like a sausage roll. In me, in me, No, in my bed sheets. Because I had like a eight-tog duck feather down sheet. You know what I mean? Middle of summer. <laughs> I'm sitting there sweating. And um, you'll be sound now. And I was. I lost the six pound and a little run and that's so all. It was good. And then I boxed brilliant that day. So, I got, you know, I, for whatever reason, because I didn't do the build. I'd done the training correct because I always trained hard. I was always... First in the gym, last out, and when I was there, I put 110% in. Yeah. That was just because of my style and the way I boxed. I had to f train like that. Yeah. I had to train like a man possessed because of just how you were going to go on that. Yeah, because that's all I do. I, that's what, and, and it was, it, see, that, that's I was, what I was ringside for pretty much all of your 40 fights. 
41, 41 fights. Yeah. And you know what? I don't remember one fight you made easy. No, and I always made you that. But the funny thing is, though, you were there for most of my amateur fights as well. Yeah, yeah. And the thing was, as an amateur, what won me my... I got seven national titles as an Olympic gold medal. What won me most of them was my ability, my boxing ability. I beat Enzo... I absolutely outboxed Enzo Machinelli. And he was class. I was the only person to beat him as a as a as an amateur. Mm-hmm. He didn't lose a f- he didn't lose a senior fight after that. When he lost to me, that was his last loss. And he went on to win three ABA titles and you know internationals and done really well. Um, again, it's just another lesson. <laughs> wow. When you look back, because the reason I wanted to speak to you today, especially, was the fact that you're three years retired now. And unlike like, we were both in Masha Dodd's company yesterday, and Masha was talking about. I'm gonna come back. I, I was that, that gutted me. Listening I need to, to know that, this. Know. I need to know that. And I'm thinking, why your legacy is done? Like, and I feel the same with you. But w- so why have you got? Why are you able to have the mentality to go? You you walked away from boxing for me on your terms. Yeah. You'd want, you'd, you were on a three fight wins wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you went. That's it. I'm done. I'm out. So yeah. what what led to that? Because you know, I'm a realist. I I don't have them arguments with me brain. That mashes having right now, and he can he can look, he can tell me till he's blue in the face that he knows he can do it. This look, this comes a time and a place where you've got to learn to just say, look, enough's enough. I've been to the top of the sea as far as I'm gonna get. I'm not gonna get further than that. Is it worth putting my body through this? Is it worth putting my family through it? I'm not getting no younger. For me, I am more. It's a, at the end of the day, right? Success is f- amazing for anybody. Winning them belts, there's no feeling that 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 could ever equally but when it's your health and how your family care and feel about you and what you put them through and the possibility which is real for Masha now because mm-hmm. he's at that age where he can get hurt yeah. these kids that he's talking about fighting or we know that he could possibly fight because of his weight and he was in that division even domestically you can get hurt and mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to see that I love the lads a bit and I'm not saying that he couldn't do it maybe he could I don't care I think it's time to just stop yeah, because I I was like you said about why was you able to move? I had the fire service. I waited for the fire service from two thousand and eight. I had it because I was going to retire after I lost to Quigley because it devastated me. I was eight rounds clear on every scorecard on the book, and I lost with sixty seconds on the clock from being two time British champion. That was a hard pill to swallow. You know what I mean? Sixty seconds. Yeah, and um. I spoke to one of my mates, the Atkinson. Um, he's a watch manager in, in Speak Fire Station with me. And he was like, look, so if you haven't made your mind up on what you're going to retire or you're going to continue, you know, listen, would you be interested in this? And what is it? Um, I mean, look, I'll take you to, to see Nick Maynock. He's the, the chief recruitment officer of the Fire and Rescue Service, the head of HR. Lovely fella. He's been a fan. He's, he's come to me fighting. He's a friend. I, actually, I get on with Nick really well. He's a lovely fella. Um, so we went to meet him and he explained what it was it's basically we go around all the areas in Liverpool where it got bad antisocial behaviour with the kids and we integrate with them we can get them in the Prince's Trust um, we can offer them like apprenticeship stuff that'll cost me a new thousands oh, but okay. if they give us the name the number yeah, then then we can help them the fire service can set that up for yeah, them exactly cause, you know it, it's good because the, pl- the kids knew who I was because of me fighting and all that so they, they'd con- they'd like communicate with me they'd let yeah. me in they'd let you in whereas if it was anybody else they didn't know with the fire service uniform they'd go I do one use a busies yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean and be that thing, attitude yeah. but like we're not we're, we you know we're, we're here for the community the fire service is so community we're not just firefighters we, we do so much in the community to, to help people to you know 
pe- we people that are at risk, the over sixty fives, we go to the houses, we make sure they're safe, we make sure they're looked after, we make sure they got f- smoke alarms. We do so much with them. So I was interested in that. So obviously, when when I was getting deployed to certain areas in Liverpool, we we were using the fire stations as as bases to start with, and we go back and we do our reports there. So I was seeing the life of a firefighter yeah. and not actually having to do it, and I liked it and. The crack that we have on station is like it's like a boxing gym. Kind of like that's, a, I was gonna say it's like a boxing gym. So for me, it was a it was a natural progression from boxing. I'd already after working for so many years in the street team while I was still fighting because it was it, I I was contracted to do two shifts a month. That was it. But I could I, I used to do more because I could. Um, so seeing the way firefighters lived, what they done, the crack that they had, like the lads in the gym, it it was just a natural. And don't get me wrong, you get paid well for it. It's a good job. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a natural thing for me, just thinking, hang on, I could do this. At one, po- at what point? Because I think if if you spoke to most <coughs> young boxers now, amateurs coming through, or even young novice pros, less than ten fights or whatever, and you tried to explain to them, listen, you know, you, you always need an ex, you always need like a, a life after boxing. I think most of them would argue back and say. Oh, you know, I, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to be a champion. The same. I'm going to do this. Have I'm you done do what I've done? Have I you have you been as good as I was course, as an amateur? But at, at what stage did you did you think? Do you know what? I need an exit plan. I had a boss dad that had that in the the pipe work for me from day one. He implemented it in my head. Oh, I'm trying to do it with Andy. I implemented it. Look, as good as you are, as much as you want it, and even though I think you're going to succeed, son, you're always going to have a backup plan. Yeah, life is cruel. Things go wrong. You know what I mean? That I, I didn't want my ma to die. She did. That that stuff like that happens in life, and so you've got to always have a backup plan, no matter what, no matter how your mindset is, no matter if you're Conor McGregor, I like the way how confident he was, and he did make it. Yeah, but it could go wrong. But even he's got a backup plan. He's got a, whi- a whiskey business. Exactly. This these kids need to put that attitude down, put that chip on the shoulder. The arrogance, that persona, what they try and give out, because behind that, this is probably a scared little boy that's too proud to just for one minute take into account that you know he's right. Mm. This could happen. I need a backup plan. Look, just get a backup plan. Throughout all the success that you had in your forty-one fights, you know the very top of the sport, headline at the Echo Arena against Paul Smith. Uh, Tony Quigley headline at Nottingham Arena against Carl Froch just before he went into the World Box, uh, the Super Six tournament and everything else. Um, throughout that entire time, you had a problem with painkillers. No sleeping tablets. Sleeping tablets. Sorry, you you you're addicted to sleeping tablets. Just wow. tell us how did you how did you get in to <laughs> taking sleeping tablets in the first place? It's a long story. I mean, I was always a hyperactive kid, as you, as you can probably tell. Still, I'm at 39 years of age. Um, so I had I had problems I had problems sleeping. Every every fighter struggles with the mental side of things. With um, once you've done your train, I mean I used to I used to go running like ten o'clock at night, thinking that once I've done my six mile, I'll be knackered. I won't yeah, go yeah. sleep. But that weren't the case. After knowing about your body and the way it reacts to training and stuff, it releases endorphins. So you might feel tired after a run, and then twenty minutes later after the shower, you bing, you wide awake. Yeah, the wrong time to run. So for years and years and years, I struggled. I mean, even when I went to Ireland, I was like, Jerry used to be at my door at six o'clock in the morning to run up Cayville, which is a mountain. It's a mountain. I used to run for an hour up a mountain every day. And I used to be sitting there at five o'clock in the morning still watching the telly, not being able to sleep. I had a lot of personal problems going on with women. Women have been the biggest 
upheaval in my life. I've, I was going to swear. <laughs> Let's just say I can't stand them. <laughs> Let's put it that. And that's just trying to be nice. I can't stand them. They wrecked my career. Uh, and listen, I'm to blame because I let it happen. Mm. But again, I should have batted for the other team. Then maybe it'd have been sound. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, on a serious note, though, I um, I always struggled with sleeping. Like like I said, four or five o'clock in the morning, I'd, I'd be lying there watching telly. Okay, so so I'm 18 years of age. I've just turned pro. Um, I was gonna. I'd had cup th- two or three fights. I think my first. Th- no, I think I'd had four four fights, but I hadn't boxed in my home city yet. So it was my homecoming. I boxed. I was boxing Elvis Mikhalenko, mm-hmm. who was a Ukrainian light heavyweight. That he went on to win a European title. Um, now, for this fight on this weekend, my cousin Kevin McLeod made his, his pro debut for Everton Football Club, left winger. So we were both eighteen. He was playing in the Prem. I was making my pro debut in Liverpool. It was it was a Amazing. story tale. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? It was it was a, it was a fairy tale. Yeah. yeah. Story tale. What am I about? It's too many punches to the head. <laughs> it was a fairy tale. It was. It was amazing. We were headlining. You know, I was all over the papers. He was all over the papers because of it. I think you actually done the, the story for the Both Echo together. Yeah, yeah. So um, on d- the build up to that fight, um, I was struggling sleeping because of the pressure. Obviously, you know, I, I was unbeaten. My home city. Don't get me wrong. I, I learned as time went on to deal with the pressure a little bit better, but it was still a lot of pressure for a young lad. I was yeah. 18, I was a baby. When you're 18, you think you're so grown up and you're a man. Of course. You're not, you're a baby. I don't think you're a man till you're 30. Mm-hmm. At least 30. So, at the time, Paul Gascoigne was playing for, for Everton Football Club and I, I had a good um, I had a good relationship with a lot of the players. Franny Jeffers, uh, Kadamati, I still speak to them now. Um, Darren Goff. Um, but Gaza was sound. I, I actually got on with Paul away from... from when he was in training, and he used to invite me down to Redbourne, stayed in Wilton Village with him. I got on with him, so I went down this one day in the build-up to this fight, and it was like, um, oh, I can't sleep, Paul. You know, because he was asking me how's my training going. This, I said, my training's going fantastic. When I feel good, he went, what do you mean? I said, well, I have a problem sleeping. I just, he said, I'm the same. Look, try them. Give me two Zimmervein, two sleeping tablets. Um, I'd never took them before. He went, look. Take them eight o'clock. You'll be asleep by nine. You'll, you'll wake up till the morning. Sound. You'll feel better. And I did. And that was it. It went from taking two to taking four to taking six. Why did you go up? Just because two wasn't putting you to sleep. After a while, your two body, wasn't putting you because to sleep. I, because it relied on them. Your body becomes immune. Right. So what what would normally be two has to be four because your body's built up a resistance to it. As it does, because the body's very clever. Yeah, yeah. It builds up resistances to stuff, and then obviously you need more to get that same kick. But it, in the end, and listen, this isn't easy for me to talk about. It's embarrassing. I messed up massively by doing this. I messed up by doing it because as this w- this progressed, and you're going to hear it now. I'm going to tell the story. Did anybody else around you know? Did they? Yeah, yeah. My dad, my partners. My dad, my partners, my family, they knew, but they couldn't stop me. I was a man. Yeah, yeah. It's not like they can fight me, is it? Of course. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah, it broke me dad's heart in the end. I mean, I, I even... There was other things, like, remember GHB? Yeah, yeah. That was the same. GHB, if taken correctly, is used as a, um, like a sleeping assist sort of thing, but it helps your body repair. And Anyway... When I was away from, bo- I went boxing when I was taken out at the time because I was injured. I was out and I was going through a lot. And I, I, I t- I'll tell you that in a minute. So, um, 
sleeping tablets. Yeah. Went from two to Went four. Went from two to, to four six. to six. And in the end, like the night before I boxed Nick Hoka, remember in Wigan? Yeah, yeah. You were there. Of course. So the night before I took two or three sleeping tablets. And then I woke up the night. Because what they do, sleeping tablets make you feel like you're drunk. That's what they make you feel like. They give yeah. you a, a buzz like you're drunk. And then after that... They just conk it out for you. They just knock it out, yeah. So, okay, so I took two or three. And then I woke up the next morning. He's 15, gone out of the pocket. This was the night before the fight. So I wake up the next day. And my partner says to me, why are you talking funny? I was like, oh, I'm just tired. Do you know what I mean? And, and I'm winged it like that. So ended up boxing. Getting in the ring, fighting. Luckily, I won, but I got cut. Got 15 stitches across my eye. You can see my skull yeah, through yeah. my eye. Remember it? Um, and obviously, that does affect how you perform because you're lethargic. You're, you're just groggy after sleeping tablets. I, even that, though, that win a wake up call. The night before a box Smith, the night before a box Quigley, the night before a box Frotch. The only one I never took a sleeping tablet before was when I won the British title. Wow. That was the only night I never took a sleep. I never got no sleep. It was horrible. I felt terrible. You just day. accepted the fact that you weren't getting any the sleep. Fact this is the was sleep. that because you were over in over in Belfast and you didn't have any sleeping tablets with you? Or no, I, I could have had them. I could have got them. I could have got them any time I want to. You can't get them any just time walk into to. any chemist? No. Friends, people, you know, obviously, they've got to be prescribed by the doctor, so it's not like you can just go and buy them. You can't. See, that was another thing when I went over to Cyprus. I was in the haymaker camp in Cyprus. Um, you could buy over the chemist. You could go with the chemist over there. There's no laws. You can buy anything over the chemist. So right. That was the probably. Just it was the best training camp. It was the best training camp ever. Um, I loved it over there. I loved it even more because I could go and buy sleeping tablets from from the shop. Yeah, yeah. You can't do it here. Of course. We used to go over there, buy loads, and bring them home with me. And, I, I, and this sounds really bad, but I just want to. I just want fighters to to listen and understand how. How how I know how they feel when it's the night before a fight. Don't ever don't ever look for a sleeping tablet. Don't ever do it because apparently they're more addictive than crystal meth. Apparently, wow. so I've read. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? But I, I haven't took them for four or five years now, and I wouldn't ever again. I'm done with them because I think that's the most you ever took. What do you mean? Fifteen. That was that was probably that was like that night. Yeah, crippling points. Yeah, that was no. I, I carried on. This was before a box frotch and everything. Wow. I carried on, carried on doing it. Because it was an easy fix for me just while I was fighting. Do you know what I mean? Because if I if I didn't get me sleep, I couldn't train properly. And if I couldn't train properly, what's the point? What's the point in fighting? So you're putting yourself under pressure to sleep. Yeah. And that's probably making it worse. You might get more anxious about the fact that I won't be able to sleep here. I so many. Sleep. T- I've so got to sleep, but I can't. Yeah. That, well, that's it. And then you're playing your mental, your mental state yeah. gets messed up. It really does affect you, and then you're you like having an argument with yourself, playing in good cop bad cop sort of thing. You know what I mean? And I've done it so many times where I try to like look, I'm not having them, and then I've gone to sleep. I mean, I've gone to bed and I'm lying there three, four o'clock in the morning, and like I'm feeling myself drift, and then when I feel myself drift, I'll jump. Yeah, I'll. It, it's like me, me body's just saying, "Ah, you're not going to keep waking you back." Up, I yeah. literally, it was so. It was soul destroying me to uh, like struggling to try and sleep, and then obviously I had a lot of personal things going on in my life, and that that didn't help. I just I just had boxing's not just about how good you are. You've got to have so many other little things to make it all work. Yeah, and it's the little things that can make everything go to pot. Yeah, 
obviously you had a lot going on outside the ring as well. A lot of distractions there. Which you know better than anybody. No, and I mean, no. I, d- I don't want to like mention names. And of course, no, no. And, but and like, with, but like I said, was that was that add an extra pressure to the fact that you thought I'm just gonna have to just keep taking these tablets? Just yeah, it, it was because you've seen it ringing me eight, nine, ten times a day mm. when I was in the training camp. How long you'll be when you come along? What are you doing? That that weren't good for me as a fighter. No, so I had someone doing that to me every day, and it went on. Even David A was saying to me, "Wow, what's going on there? Why, why is she being like that?" Yeah, but again. Like talking to a brick wall. It's quite it's quite bonkers, really, the situation that you were in and the fact that you were addicted to sleeping tablets, the career that you did have. Do you ever look back now and go, Imagine if I was able to sleep, imagine if I didn't have those outside pressures, where could my career have gone? No, 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 because I know the answer to that. I know what it would have been. But like I said, I'm at peace with that now. I've sort of come to that like Mash is not at peace with it. Yeah. I've come to that that point in my life where you know what it was good while it lasted I could have done something more but I never so what it doesn't make no difference I'm happy I can say that because I'm happy where I'm at now with my career the fire service has been a breath of fresh air for me it's been it's been oh, I want to put it let's say if I didn't have it I'd be in trouble yeah I did the, like it's not just about the job it's the organisation itself is so supportive in all my situations. It's like with the situation with my mum, they knew what I was going through. They give me, like a counsellor, they give me help. They showed me nothing but support. They moved me to my own area just so I could be closer to my family if they needed me. Amazing. They understood like my son needed me because I, and he's been with me since he was born. I'm his dad, I'm his only, I mean, he's, he doesn't really bother with his mum. He's, he's, I'm all he's got mm. and they took that on board and they said, look, you know, we want you to feel safe at work, comfortable at work. We want you to be the best you can be. So if that is that what it takes to, to, to help with that, we, we'll support you. I couldn't ask for, no. couldn't, you know, anybody else. Anyway, most jobs would say don't care. Of course. When you went into the fire service, did you go in as Tony Dodson, the boxer, you know, looking to do something else or looking for the next chapter? Or did they treat you as like Anthony Dodson, just the normal recruits? No, it, the, I the recruit course lasted 18 weeks. A um, couple of, obviously, a couple of the recruits knew who it was, but I knew one of the one of the instructors lives in my area, so he knew who I was, what I'd done. But one thing they did do, because the fact, on the recruit course, it's like very military, and I think they needed to know that I wouldn't snap, and they tried to push me buttons. Right. They really did, but boxing teaches you discipline. And restraint and control, and I was very humble. I, I, I put, you know, I'm not, I'm not Tony Dodson, the former British champion, the boxer. I was just me, the same as everyone else in there. Yeah, yeah. And I think that helped me move forward. And another thing, I had to study. Like, I left school when I was twelve. Like, literally, and everyone's probably going to be listening to this. No, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. I left school when I was twelve, and every time we got a letter, basically saying if he doesn't come to school, blah, blah, I'd go in for a day. Just to stop it. And it wasn't, back then, it wasn't like it is now. If my kids stayed off school for a week, yeah, they'd yeah. be at the door. Of course they would. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Which is, na- back then, wasn't like that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I, 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 how I was able to do what I'd done, I don't know. So when I went to the recruit, co- recruit course, <coughs> it's a lot of information that you've got to take on board. A lot of studying. And I basically, I didn't get no GCSE, so I had to reset me, me maths and me English and 
qualify for that, which was really hard because you know me, I'm thick. <laughs> with, with I had to go and get I had to get my cousin Steve Rotherham. He's a maths teacher, luckily, and I had to go and have three lessons a week with him for three months to be able to do these these equations, these these sums, these things that we need to know. Because we go into a building, we need to know the area the area, the volume of the room to know how much water we need to put in it. Right, okay. So, it, it, honest, it's just a It's head. a critical part uh, of the job, It is. Basically. So, I, we, I, I got it, I done it, and I passed it all. And, uh, yeah, it was tough. It was hard. Um, I was up, we used to have to be in work for like half eight of the morning, stood on parade with our suits on. We couldn't have a, like a bit of, a bit of fluff or not on the, 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 our shoes had to be bold. Everything was ironed correctly. It was proper military. Wow. And we done, and, and I was in work even though we had to be there for half eight, I was there for seven. Because of all the personal stuff as well that I was going through, I yeah. wanted to be away. Get there, get, get the right headspace. Get me, yeah, get my mind off it. Because I knew if I weren't passing this, if I weren't getting through this review course, I was fighting again. Yeah. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to put my family through that. I didn't want to put my body through that. I'm ugly enough, you know what I mean? I didn't need to take no more punches to the head. So, yeah, I, um, I got my head down. I was going in early, staying late. Revision when I got home, it literally didn't stop for three months. And, and, and on the pass out, I um, like while all this was going on, obviously, my ma was sick, and she was like, I'm so so proud of you, I'm so made up that you know you've come away from boxing. I hate seeing you come home with your face all in bits, you're still my little boy. And that that, that was hard, you yeah, know, yeah. listening to listening, seeing her go through that with me. And um, on the pass out, we what we do is we we do like um. All the core skills we've learned, like the RTCs, the work on the heights, and all the stuff that we do, we put on show for like our families and stuff. It's like it's a it's a boss day. We get awarded our certificate like for passing the thing by the chief fire officer, and it's just a, a really good day. My mum was like, "I'm looking forward to it," and anyway, she ended up having to go in and get more chemo and couldn't go. She was too sick, so the fire service basically done a video for my mum. Amazing. And like to Myra Dodson, blah blah blah. Your lad and I, I sat here and watched it with her in this room. She was sat in this seat where I am now watching it with me, and she was sobbing. She was wow. like, "I'm so proud of you," and it was gutting for me that she couldn't be there. But it was nice that she seen that. I was all right, you know what I mean. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. I just want to finish the, the tonight's show too by talking to you about um, your career, and it was a different time then. You know, t- 15 years ago when there was no social media. Imagine if you'd had social media then during your career. And the only reason I say that is, I basically got to cover most of Naz's career because you were on his undercards. Yeah. And Ricky Hatton's career, you were on the card. David Hayes' career, you were on the card. Yeah. You were in the mix with all these people. If, you're so, if you had social media then, it'd have been like, on with Ricky Hatton today, on with Lennox Lewis tomorrow, on with David Day on Thursday. Yeah. It's weird. It, it, it is, it, it's mad. And yeah, it, you know, born the wrong generation. I've, I've said that so many times. And, you know what the what the thing is as well. If you you're a success socially, then you get looked after. Yeah. It's not about look at Dave Allen. It's not about yeah exactly in, in, in the modern not game. about how good you are. It's what you're selling other people. Look at Dave. this is a business. Of course, first and foremost, that's it. It's yeah. a business. If you sell tickets, you'll get looked after. Yeah, I always remember Barry Ian saying to me, "I w- I boxed in Budapest. Um, he took me over there. Great, I had a great fight over there. Knocked the kid out in the first round." really well come back to the changing rooms and he looked at me and Barry Barry went to me like wow bloody hell you're looking good shape Dodson um, I'm surprised I thought that kid was going to take you a few rounds but you just destroyed him do you want to fight next week and me I was 
because I, as I said, I struggled making weight, and I was just—I just wanted to go home and celebrate like an open-top bus going on Liverpool. Like I've done <laughs> it. I, sh- I didn't realize. I always thought it was going to last forever, and yeah, there'd be yeah. another opportunity. I should have took them opportunities. Um, but again, for every fighter up and coming, every opportunity you get, grab it with both hands and take it, me because it doesn't last forever. And going back to the social media thing, if I would have been in that era with social media with the people that I was around and what what I'd done. I mean, because like I said to you then, when I was 18, I was down in London in Lennox Liver Centre with Jimmy Tibbs. Jimmy Tibbs was my trainer down there. I think he had five or six fights with Jimmy. Lovely fella. Yeah. I had a boss relationship with him and his knowledge was unreal. He's like, such, he's just, he's got an aura about him. He's one of them trainers that you stand up and listen to. Yeah. And you know what he's telling you is concrete, 100%. You know it's good for you, so you need to listen to it. So I was down there, I was sparring at the age of 18 with Bruce Scott, who was British Commonwealth champion. He could hit like a truck, yeah. literally. He hit me with an uppercut one day and he nearly snapped my chin. Literally, it, it jarred up into my ear and I heard the crunch. I like, I could, I'd, I'd definitely done something, there's definitely something wrong with my jaw after that. Um, and then I was sparring with Michael Holden, who was British heavyweight champion. I was 18 years of age, walking in the gym. Steve Collins was there, mm-hmm. sparring with the lads. Um, I never sparred with Steve. Um, Scott speaking to him, it turns out that he's actually a relative. My nan, my nan's name was um, Phyllis Collins from um, same part of Ireland, was it? Thingy O'Connell Street. Oh right, okay. Dublin. Wow. And it turned out That's my nan was were. was his grandma's sister. No way. Yeah. Didn't so you work with the Collins at one point as well? Yeah. Well, I went over to. But this, I'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. That that just went. But in terms of who you worked with during your career as well, Jimmy Tibbs down in London. Then you went over Adam to Ireland Booth. to work with Jerry, Jerry Story. Story. Adam Booth. Adam Booth. It's like, you Dave know, Caldwell. It's I've just worked, like a... I've worked with the, the who's who of boxing. Actually, I got um Steve wanted me to go over after winning the British title and go and work with the Petronelli brothers over in Ireland. So he sorted it out so I could fly into Boston and get picked up by Kevin McBride just before he boxed Tyson. Wow. Kevin McBride didn't turn up. I was in Boston Airport in minus 20 degrees. It turned out that Pascal, his brother, hadn't even sorted out somewhere for me to stay. So I turned up at this property. Listen, within 24 hours, I'd flew around the world because I'd come home straight away. It just wasn't sorted out. Steve thought that his brother and McBride sorted. sorted everything over there for me to work with the Petronelli brothers. Matthew McPaver for me, looked after me, and it just weren't sorted out properly, so I'd come home. Like minus 20 degrees. I'm sort of half glad that yeah. it didn't work, do you know what I mean? <laughs> But um, again, yeah, that was that was another chapter, another story to tell. Being they're like there. they're like the Hall of Fame of boxers yeah, from the last yeah, 20, 20, 30 years. Yeah, do you know what are. I mean? But and Jimmy Tibbs yeah. and Jerry Story and Caldwell and Adam again, Booth. Like, if on. I would have had the social media to show this and back to us, I mean, me and Naz used to sit there in the in the hotel for hours just chatting. He was first name terms. He was such a nice fella. Yeah, and he's you know what? It's like it's like. People get the wrong perception of Bellew. People, oh, I don't like him, his attitude. That's not him. Yeah, it was exactly. the same with Nas. What you see in that arrogance is not him. He was actually a really humble, nice, polite man. Yeah, that, yeah. like, if you needed anything, he'd be there. So, going back to a box on the Viani Bungu on the card yeah, on yeah, the, in, the, in the Olympia back in, I think that was 2000. I think London Olympia, was. yeah, yeah. So it was so Nas anyway, Bungu and uh, that was the night Shane Neary for Yeah, box Mickey, Mickey Ward, Ward mm-hmm. on the undercard. So, I'm in the changing rooms and... Um, I'm standing there talking to Puff Daddy and then my dad comes over and my dad gets talking to him and literally the guy, right, the guy must have stood there with me for 25, 30 minutes. Just such a, such a nice fella. No attitude. No this gangster 
gangster Morale. rapper, nothing like that. Yeah, just no, a nice just fella. A dead, like, ah, dead interested in my accent. <laughs> From Liverpool, I've been to Liverpool, lovely city. Blah, blah. What are you, what, so what are you open to do with your kid? Interested in me? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I got talking to him, my half-fellow was telling me racist pigeons and everything. <laughs> I was like, so, so Puff Daddy walks away. And um, my half-fellow was lovely fella then. So do you know who that is, Dad? I was like, no, no idea. Sean? Like that, that's Puff Daddy. He was like, "You're messing me." <laughs> like, and I said, this Puff Daddy went, "Oh my God, is it really?" Should have got a picture. It's <laughs> <was> like, yeah, <laughs> to me, I didn't have a clue who he was. And like, even when I come out of the ring after one of my fights, he shouted over me, "Tony, do you win?" It's like, yeah. He said, "You coming to party?" I was like, "No, I'm not going." And why did he do the after party? And I'm just mental. <coughs> just one of the stories. Listen, you, as you say, it, it's amazing the journey your career has been on. It's amazing that the fire service has come in at this perfect time in your life and you've got this and it's such an example for other fighters. But when looking at you, reminiscing about your career, about going here, there and everywhere, fighting all over the world, junior Olympic gold medalist, you know, uh, yeah, going I, on going I, on camps with Ricky Hatton and all that stuff. I listened to this, though, another story wow. for you. It's amazing. I boxed in Russia for England in 95, I think it was, right? So when we get there... It gets picked up now. Listen, this was Sue's on this tour with you. I was He's on the squad. Yeah, there was me, Ricky Atten, David Barnes, um, Michael Knowles, uh, Robert Nelson. Robert Nelson was a pro as well. Mm-hmm. Um, who else was there? There was another Nicky Cook, world champion. Wow, so yeah. we we had a lot of talented kids on this this build with us. So we get st- at, we get to the Moscow airport and we. This we've been flying all night. Like literally, we get to the hours in the morning. Then we got a four and a half hour drive to this place called Gus Gustafen on a on a bloody coach that was just ready to clap out. It was they say it's a third world country. Look, it really is like a sixth world country. It's that bad. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we went to this little shop, and it was fifteen thousand rubles to a pound, and it was fifteen hundred for a liter bottle of vodka. Work that out. That's about twenty five pence. Yeah, Christ. It was crazy. like water. Yeah, it was yeah. unreal. So we we bought a Mars bar out of this little like a little wooden shop. It's like a, a wooden shack in this place right by this crystal factory. I'll tell you another story about that in a minute. So I bought this thing and I give the kid a Mars bar, and the kid run away, and we followed him round the back of the, this thing, and these other kids jumped him and robbed off him. It was that bad. Wow. They had like holes in the shoe. I don't realize how lucky we are to have it the way we have. <laughs> anyway. I ended up boxing um, <coughs> their national champion and beating them, but I got food poisoning because literally, look, we'd go into the cafe and had no voucher this. They would give me slop. It was like cold, runny snot. Like it was vegetables and it was just, look, it was terrible. So I didn't fight, take part in the second fight, but Ricky did. Ricky won his fight and um, stopped the kid. So they brought in this lad the next time to box Rick. Bit of a ring This there, yeah. kid was like. Like, do, like, Big, uh, like yeah, Drago, yeah. he was, he was a before. unit. <laughs> Ricky just destroyed him. Wow. Ricky was teeing off on him, but this kid could fight. You know what I mean? The last one went three rounds. Ricky didn't stop him. Give Ricky a really good fight, but Ricky was on that day. Yeah, it was the best I've seen in boxing. He was just pounding this kid with them body shots. Even as a kid, he was just p- so powerful. He was. Um, you've got so many fond memories, and you've you know obviously it's it, it, boxing is such a major part of your life for twenty years, and it and it put you on a, the right path. So, I know your son Anthony now is boxing and doing really well for Gemini ABC. He loves it. People are getting excited about him. <laughs> Would you want him to turn pro? No, it's not even a no-brainer for me. I wouldn't want him to live that life. It's not a good life. It's a bad life. It's not a good life at all. I'd like him to do it to keep fit, to look after himself, stay amateur. Yeah, no, just just come away from boxing. Literally, I, I, 
cannot stand it. And yet you, you had, you know, I had good times, but, times. But, Thank but for what I had to give up for it, for the experiences I had to give up. Like I said, I used to jog past all my mates. Now all my mates have turned out boss. They've all got families, good jobs, like doing well for themselves. The, the good lads. I, I'm dead lucky. I've got a handful of mates that I've been mates with since crash, mm-hmm. and we've stayed mates right through. We've got each other's back. We're like family. Yeah. Um, and I they used to have so many good times. Like part of growing up, part of living your life. As I hate to say, in living your best life, I hate that. But it's right. Yeah. You only get one life, and you should live your best life. And enjoy it to the max. I used to jog past them on a Friday and Saturday night while they were on corners with beards, having fun, having a laugh, going on going on lads' holidays. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I've done bits, of course. but not as much as I could have. Now, for me, the memories I've got is just making weight and running and, and not good. Yeah, it's sacrificing, yeah, basically. I sacrifice so much, but what I got in return, it's a no-brainer. Just get away from it. Yeah. No, and for the money I earned as well, I've done okay, but I could have earned just as much just getting a normal job. Yeah, know what I mean. With so Anthony, is it is he is he in love with boxing? Yeah, he l- he loves that life, the way of that life. Yeah. He loves it, which I'm made up for because if he didn't, he's a very emotional kid. And like I said to you before, when he was four, he used to take him to footy pitch, and his team would lose. So when the when the trainers would sit around and have a talk about where they went wrong, what's gone on, it's like a team assessment mm-hmm. of their performance. Anthony'd be oh, standing over the other side of the the pitch screaming shouting the team's crap i'm not playing for it he's four years of age and he's getting a proper cob on crying that he doesn't want to play for the team because it's crap because he lost yeah he's got that winning mentality but is that why boxing you know a sport that's down to him yeah do you think he's more suited to that in that regard then i think yeah i think it's in his own hands hand on heart do you think he'll stick with amateur do you think he'll stick with the boxing do you think he will turn pro unfortunately i do i think he's gonna continue and as a parent i'm gonna support him i mean like i said it's been me and him from day one See, another thing people don't get, when Anthony was born, I was British champion, right? From that time, I had no support of his mother. His mother was basically, go out on a Wednesday, I wouldn't see her for two weeks. Literally, I was brought that kid up by myself. Yeah. I'd done it by myself. And I'd listen. As well as juggling a professional. As, as well as being British champion, having to get up. I used to have to get up. If it weren't for my mother, I, like, I don't think I'd be here. Because I used to have to get up at like five, six in the morning to go run. And I used to get Anthony up, take him from where I lived up in Dingle, bring him to my mum's, get my ma to watch him while I went running, come home, look after Anthony, get him sorted, go to the gym, come back, get him back with my ma, keep him all day doing the dad thing. Now, my son, he wouldn't stop crying. He literally wouldn't stop crying. He was a little crier. He wouldn't go to anybody apart from my ma mm-hmm. and me. He yeah. was glued to my hip. Yeah. If I left the house, he'd go mad. That was what it was like for me. It, um, don't get me wrong. It's, people think, oh, that's cute. No, it's not. <laughs> not when you're dieting. Not when you're dieting, you're training three times a day and having to look after a kid because his ma's a tramp. Do you know what I mean? That, 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 I'd done that by myself. Yeah. So I um, I, I got through it and I, I continued. Do you think that's why you've got that closeness with him now that you don't want him to go through what you went through? Because <coughs> no doubt Anthony doesn't look at your career and go, Oh, dad, that's a, you know, the the sleeping tablets and the this and the that. He looks at it and goes, my dad headlined at the Echo Arena a handful of times. Yeah, no, no. He, he headlined against Carl Frotch. He done this, he done that. He's got all the belts above the mantelpiece to show for it. He's got all my belts. I haven't got them. He's got all my belts. But you know, yeah, he don't, I think he's proud, yeah, obviously. He doesn't see that. But he sees that and I thinks t- he wants to emulate you and, and do I know, that but I try thing. and educate him. I try and give him advice. I mean, but look, 
did we listen to our parents? Of course not, no. And you know what I'd like to think because of the way I am with them, and like we're best mates, and you listen to me, but it's not. It's just kids don't listen to the dads. Yeah. <laughs> kids don't listen to the parents, and it it, it frustrates me, and I get angry, and I shout. I sh- I do shout. I do. I have got a wicked temper. I don't know whether it's because of what I've gone through with boxing, with girls, with with my mum. I just I've got a short fuse. I've got no. I've got no filter for, pardon me, French, bullcrap. Yeah, yeah. You know what I want to say, but it's on radio, so I can't. <laughs> yeah. I've got no no tolerance for it. I just don't don't bring it to me. Go away. If you're gonna start chatting bubbles, just keep it to yourself. Yeah. I've got no tolerance for it, and I think that's just f- the frustration in me through the mistakes I've made for the mistakes I don't want to see in me. Yeah. So when he starts talking to me and I try and advise him and he doesn't listen, I rage. I rage because I know he's gonna make them mistakes that I that. I he can avoid that I didn't. Yeah. Through my experience, but again, what kids do listen to the parents? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? And listen, like Lou, Lou, my little girl, is even hard more hard reckoning. That child, like she stayed with my sister last night, Alia, had her for me, and she texts me seven o'clock this morning. She's never staying again. She was bouncing round all night crying, right? And then when she fell asleep, was up at six o'clock this morning, jumping on Alia's bed, my little niece, getting her to get up to play was flipping because she wouldn't get up and play at six o'clock this morning. This is Lucia, she's six years of age. This is from six in the morning till ten at night. I have to fight with her to get asleep. I have to I have to brush her teeth of a morning, right? I have, to, I have to I have to have a fight with her. <laughs> it's literally she rules the roost. Look, she's a lovely kid, I love her to bits. And yeah, she's hard work, but it's amazing. I mean, I used to say to me, you're just getting back what you give me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. Listen, I've been I've been mates with you for 20 years. I've covered your entire Stop career, it. and I couldn't be prouder now for 20 Na- odd years. 1993. Wow. You done the f- no, 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 no,
I think it's because it's combat sport. As men, big and brave. We, yeah, we just try and act big and brave. And I, as I've grown up, I've learned to. You need to talk about it. Absolutely. Need, I mean, listen. That's being now, that's real bravery. It is being able to talk like, about like it. Like now, I mean, I, 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 I like the last. I've said to you when you walked in before. These last two, three weeks, I've proper struggled, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I've struggled with 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 my mum more than when she died in my arms. I've struggled so bad with it. Um, and, and like I said, the fire service got onto them straight away and now they, they, they've got me someone to speak to. So, you know, I, I'm, like I said, I might look big, ugly and tough, but we, we all of us are the same. We all break down the same. We all put up them walls and try and hide it the same. And the problem with hiding it is it builds up and then it's out of control. And yeah, of course. Before, Listen, before anyone that's listening, before it gets out of control, speak to someone. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.